Hello everybody and welcome back to my Mike and I late night sessions. I am your host Noah Alvarez. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show and if you're returning, welcome back. Like I said in the previous episodes, don't know how, I don't want to say consistent, but I don't know exactly what days. I know I'm recording currently Sunday, April 16th. Uh, It is about 10.45 p.m. at the beginning of this podcast. Um, I think weekends work best for myself. Uh, I have put them out three weeks in a row now. So I think weekends and every week sounds good for now. I don't want to put too much on my plate. Again, this is just a a space where I can get some thoughts and ideas out. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Again, be sure to hit that like, subscribe, and follow button if you like what you hear. So on today's agenda for episode three of the Late Night Sessions, I got a few things. NBA playoffs started, so I definitely want to hit on some of those storylines and what I'm really excited to see featuring a, a former city that I used to live in. I also want to talk about my previous my ongoing because it hasn't ended yet but my ongoing school experience i decided to make the decision to go back to school and get my teaching credential and it hasn't been easy so i'll dive back into that later and then also of course i want to talk about working in a low socioeconomic area currently at the high school that i'm coaching baseball and football at and some of the the things that i've kind of observed from the students that i work with the athletes that i've worked with and the challenges that have arose in the past few months year or so and of course as we do every one of these episodes i want to do a song of the episode and an existential thought of the episode so that's what we have on the agenda for today episode three of my mike and i's late night sessions again i'm noah alvarez Let's go ahead and get into the beginning of the NBA playoffs after this quick sip. <clears throat> to those who don't know and who may be new to some of my content and the things that I talk about on podcasts, I'm a huge lover of sports and playoffs. Man, it's really the best time for any sport. It doesn't matter if it's hockey, college basketball, football, college baseball. Everything gets more exciting in the playoffs because there's a lot more at stake. There's a lot more on the line. And NBA playoffs just started this past weekend. Saturdays were the first game. We had play-in tournament games uh, all last week, and that was a lot of fun watching that. And um, I really want to specifically highlight why I can go each matchup and talk about my favorite team, the Boston Celtics, and some of what I saw today, too. Sunday with three upsets, um, three road teams winning in, in four of the games that were going on this Sunday. What I really want to spend some time on is... The Sacramento Kings. Yes, the Sacramento Kings earned a three seed. It's their first playoff appearance since 2006. And Saturday, they hosted their first playoff game since 2006. And they hosted the reigning NBA champions, the Golden State Warriors. It was a fun game, man. And it before even the game started, just watching on social media and also watching the live TV broadcast on ABC, or I believe it was ESPN, one of those. They're kind of joint now. But it was really exciting to see Sacramento and the surrounding area get so excited. And I still know a couple people that I went to school with that live in that area. Um, but just to have that kind of little tie to it. You know, I only spent two and a half years, five semesters in Sacramento attending school there. I got to f- attend a few 
uh, Kings games while I was there. I actually went to one game at Sleep Train Arena. It was a Portland Trailblazers game versus uh, the Kings back at Old Sleep Train, which is in Natomas. It's more of the north, uh, I guess you would say northwest side of Sacramento. And um, note that arena is no longer there. They don't play in that arena. They play in the Golden One Arena, which is now in downtown Sacramento. The reason I bring up Sacramento, though, is because it has such a, despite having such a poor past two decades or so, almost two decades, they have such a rich history and a really good, strong fan base. I mean, you look at some of the small market franchises across all sports and you think of some of the stronger fan bases being like the Memphis Grizzlies in the NBA, right? Even OKC Thunder when they're really good. That's a market that really gets jumping for their team. You look at like the Green Bay Packers in the NFL or even look at maybe someone like you would say the Kansas City Royals when they're good. I'm trying to think of another small market team that um, really gets it going. I, I couldn't think of an NHL one, but you get the idea. When they're not on these big coastal city teams or the Chicago's or the, the Dallas's or the Houston's, sometimes these teams get overlooked, right? And they have diehard fan bases, sometimes even more religious than the big city ones. And that's definitely the Sacramento Kings. You know, when I was attending school there, they were bad. My first, I think, couple years, they had Boogie Cousins. And I want to say they traded for Boogie Cousins or, excuse me, traded away Boogie Cousins while I was in my last uh, full school year there, my last two semesters. And so that was kind of devastating to see because, you know, Boogie Cousins was, you know, one of the top players in the NBA. And, um, you know, there, there was some poor management, poor people running the team for a while with the Kings, but they're finally heading in the right direction. Let's highlight the good, right? It feels like last year they were kind of on the verge, but, you know, Luke Walton didn't just work out as a coach over there. And now they hired Mike Brown. He was a longtime assistant for the Golden State Warriors, and he's also been a longtime coach, whether head coach or assistant coach in the past decade and a half or so in the NBA, coaching a lot of different types of players. And so he gets the reins on this team. They made a couple trades. I know they added Kevin Herter. They added um, Sabonis to the mix as well, I believe at the tail end of last year too at the trade deadline. So these new pieces along with, uh, I think Malik Monk was another free agent signing too in the offseason to go along with the core of Harrison Barnes, De'Aaron Fox, the star, of course, and, you know, their rookie pick Keegan Murray. Davion Mitchell was their first round pick last year. This core has really ignited a spark into Sacramento. And they, like I said earlier, they were able to earn the number three seed in the Western Conference and and I thought this was really cool. They have this cool little tradition that they just started this year. It wasn't there when I was there, and I wish it was. But they have this light the beam thing. Every time they win, whether it's home or away, and obviously when it's home, it's more exciting because the fans are in the arena or right outside the arena. But they basically, exactly what it sounds like, they light a beam. They hit a button, and a beam lights from the top of Golden One. Or Actually, I don't know exactly where it lights up, but if you are standing outside of Golden One Arena, you can see this beam shooting up into the sky. It's purple color, just like the King's color is. And all that to say is, man, it was a really great regular season for the Kings. And I was excited that they drew this Warriors matchup because I think this could be one of the better first round series that we've seen maybe of all time. Because you have the reigning champions and the Warriors. You have this young, fun team that was, you know, 
near the top of the rankings in offensive efficiency in the Sacramento Kings. No playoff experience, though, and they're going up against a team that has all the playoff experience. And these teams are only an hour and a half away from each other. They don't have to fly back and forth. You could just drive down the 80 and be in San Francisco or be in Sacramento for the other teams relatively quickly, especially if there's no traffic. So, you know, some are calling this the Battle of Northern California. There's a lot of different things you can label this as. And, you know, game one, I'm rooting for Sacramento. Just leading that in. I, I think Golden State's going to win this series. I think I picked on my Twitter, I picked Golden State to win this series in seven. I think they'll steal game two. But the Kings are going to make it tough, man. They're going to work. I think they can win a game in San Francisco as well. And I really like to see Sacramento pull off the upset. It's tough to beat or pick against the experience that the Warriors have. But hear me out. The Kings, while they may not have the experience, I think there's a couple things that have in their favor. One being Mike Brown, being that longtime assistant with Steve Kerr and the rest of the Golden State Warriors. Being a head, or excuse me, being, a, being an assistant coach during a great team like that on a great run you get to know the ins and outs the pros and cons the hot zones and the cold zones of each player on that team and I feel like while he may not have the horses to get the job done he could definitely direct his players to at least make things really difficult more difficult than another coach might be able to just off a scouting report this guy was in those locker rooms at those practices on the sideline during some of those games in big moments and knows where these players like the ball and don't like the ball. So I feel like they have that advantage. Two, I feel like they have Golden One Arena advantage, man. They are a die-hard fan base. And one thing I'll shout out because it was a really cool moment flashing back to my first Sacramento Kings game. It was when they took on the Trailblazers at Sleep Train Arena that I mentioned earlier. I heard these cowbells going off and, you know, you think Sacramento, the mascot, the Kings, why is there cowbells? You usually don't associate Kings with cowbells, right? You would associate with that with like farmers, maybe an Aggie type mascot that you see in college sports sometimes. Nonetheless, I kind of, the friends that I went with, I just asked out loud. I was like, huh, I wonder why the Kings use cowbells and for the fans. And one of the fans, I believe in the row, in front of me turned around and kind of just happened to share this little oral history of the franchise and I thought that was super cool so back in I believe it was 2004 might have been 2003 but when they had that epic series with the Los Angeles Lakers let's just say early to mid 2000s it was back and forth um there was a, a what you could what you could say was a relatively unfairly called game by the referees nonetheless during that series at one point or another, head coach of the Lakers, Phil Jackson, once called Sacramento a cow town in an interview. And for those of you who don't know, man, there's not a lot of cows in Sacramento. I didn't actually see any cows in Sacramento. That's one thing that I feel like people, because Phil Jackson said it, and because I live in Southern California, a lot of people take Phil Jackson's words as gospel kind of deal. And so a lot of people, when I told them that I was going to Sacramento State, they're like, man, why are you going to, you know, middle of nowhere farm town? Sacramento's a big ass city. Sacramento's the capital of California. 
So not only does it have the Capitol buildings, it has big skyscrapers, it has two professional teams, um, a college. I mean, there's a downtown, a midtown, an uptown. There's the hood. There's an old town. There's West Sacramento, East Sacramento, uh, South Sacramento. Like I said, there's different little neighborhoods, like I mentioned earlier, Natomas, and plenty of more places that I could list off and go on and on and on and on. Sacramento is a big city. I think it's the fifth biggest city population-wise, and I want to say third biggest uh, square miles-wise um, in the state of California. But people don't think of it like that. And because Phil Jackson said when describing Sacramento a cow town back in the 2000s, the Kings fans responded to that interview by bringing a bunch of cowbells the next game that the Kings hosted the Lakers in that series. I just think that's so fucking badass, bro. Can you imagine? Like, that's the history of this franchise. Never before did they ever think to bring out cowbells, but because some head coach of a team that they were playing against, a team that they didn't like, a team that was in the same state as they are, he made this remark that they were a cow town. And the next thing you know, 20,000 plus fans bringing cowbells to an arena. That's pretty fucking hard. And so if you watch the game Saturday, you definitely heard some cowbells in the beginning. You definitely heard some cowbells, uh, you know, when they would sh- shoot, show you shots of outside the Golden One Arena as well. People ringing those cowbells still to this day in 2023. I think that's so awesome, man. It's a part of the history. All that to say is, I got a lot of love for the Sacramento Kings. The Boston Celtics will always be my favorite team, but I would move or I would give an honorable mention to the Sacramento Kings and I moved them and adopted them to my second favorite team because of living in there, meaning different locals to Sacramento and hearing their passion for that team, despite them being so bad, but them being so hopeful, their hate for the Lakers, their hate for the Warriors, and it's just going to be a fun series, man. So if you can tap into that series, I want to say they play game two on Monday, April 17th, Then I believe they have two days off and play the 20th, which is a Thursday, Then I think they go back to the weekend, and hopefully that game, hopefully that series goes seven. Like I said, I know I picked Warriors in seven, but... If the Kings could pull off the upset, that would be a tremendous series for the books. Other than that, I will say shout out to the Celtics for taking care of business in round one, or excuse me, in game one of their round one series against the Atlanta Hawks. And shout out to the Los Angeles Lakers, the Los Angeles Clippers, and the Miami Heat for all pulling off the upsets. All three road teams won the first game of their series on Sunday, April 16th. Things got a little kooky. Obviously, they won for different reasons. I know John Moran got hurt, missed the end of the game for the Grizzlies. I know uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo got hurt as well, and that sparked uh, the, the Heat victory in that one as well. So we'll see how those series play out. Hopefully, knock on wood. It's nothing too serious for those stars because we obviously want to see the best players playing in the biggest moments of the NBA postseason. So that's enough of the NBA postseason. Let's go ahead and transition. I mentioned last episode that I wanted to keep these episodes shorter. When I write these things down, I'm like, yeah, this will take me like 12 to 20 minutes. And by the time I hit stop recording, bro, I'm like on minute fucking 45, almost 50 minutes. I think that's crazy. I could just talk. Um, next thing I want to cover and, you know, a few things in a row we're going to cover is all surrounding school. So like I just mentioned, 
I went to school for Sacramento State, studied something that I'm not doing particularly with my major at this current moment, at least full time, right? I have a part time gig broadcasting some community college games in the area. Uh, I majored in journalism and communications. I wanted to work for a sports broadcasting network type deal or maybe sports radio, do something like that. Regardless of the fact, um, because I've been coaching and because I've been substitute teaching, I think it'll be really great to be a teacher. I've really grown to fall in love working with kids, especially teens, coaching. I think I'd be a great head coach one day at uh, for high school football, varsity, and basically um, I made it a goal to go back to school and get my teaching credential. And I was thinking I wanted to get my credential in history. Teach history. I've always had a big fondness and appreciation for history since I was really young. Whether it was the ancient Egyptians, um, World War II type stuff, you know, the, the Battle of the Pacific and all the islands that, you know, the U.S. Marines and Navy fought over there. Um, just different parts of history, everything from the Greeks to the Romans to Reaganomics and the crack epidemic and you know, the 70s and the Vietnam War and all these different eras of history. It's so beautiful to kind of learn about those things. I'm really excited. But, man, I've been out of school since 2017, so it's about to be six years. Um, I did take a couple classes at community colleges. I remember one semester I signed up for four and I ended up only finishing two. I tried to take a summer class two summers ago. And I ended up dropping it after two weeks. And it pains me to say this, but, you know, two weeks into this school uh, attempt, right, to get my teacher credential this time, because those are just taking classes just to kind of, I knew I wanted to go back to school and I knew I wanted to get back into the swing of things, but it's just so hard. And I know what people mean now when they say, don't take too much time off of school because, you develop this this routine and this I don't want to say comfort, but you just you develop this routine and, and comfortability of your own life. I don't want to say complacency, but I think that might be the best word where you don't want to add something to that, adding school to that, adding, you know, hey, I have to do this reading, I have to do this project, I have to put together this this, that and the other for a grade. It it just seems so foreign to me right now and I I am like I said it I'm not a proud of it but I did attempt to log in I did log in a couple times and when I started some of my assignments for this class that I'm taking as part of my teaching credential course um you know I had a little panic attack I had a little anxiety attack and I just felt super overwhelmed and in moments like those, it kind of sucks because I feel like I go back to some of my old ways of thinking where I put myself down, tell myself I'm not capable of certain things, this, that, or the other, X, Y, or Z. I mean, it was school in this example, but sometimes I may have it for other things, right? Um, and I tell myself that I'm not good enough and I can be rather hard on myself. And I know that's, you know, a lot of unresolved trauma that I developed during childhood where I just have these really high expectations for myself and when things don't work out right away I can just be rather oh I can be rather put off I could be rather 
gosh, I, don't, I forget what the word I'm looking for is, but I could just be so negative Nancy about it, you know what I mean? And it, it kills me, man, and it kills me in the long run, it kills me in the short run, it kills me with different goals, and it, I think it's going to kill me with this first attempt at school. I'm not giving up on school just completely, just yet, but I will set up this week an appointment to talk to an advisor and see if I can drop this class and start at a later date just because it, you know, it wasn't for me, man. Like I said, I had a full on, um, panic attack where I legitly felt overwhelmed and didn't feel good about myself. I stared at the screen contemplating what, you know, I should be doing with my life and, and what I am doing with my life and being unhappy at where I'm at. And it just led to these really bad snowball effect of different emotions and feelings and harmful words I was saying to myself and I knew that wasn't healthy so yeah I know I have to overcome some of those obstacles I know in school going back to school is not going to be easy that's not what I'm trying to say I know there's going to be some hoops to jump through I know there's going to be some obstacles to climb and you know rivers to cross metaphorically but I think one thing that I regret, not regret, because I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher right out of high, uh, college, undergrad, excuse me. I just, you know, sometimes you just wish you figured out things sooner. I call myself a late bloomer, both in sports, both in, in a lot of different ways, man. I, I really was a late bloomer. I think I was naive to the world a lot. I had these big goals and aspirations and um, not didn't necessarily knew what it took to get to those places. And, you know, towards my later years, I was able to understand things more in different fields. And um, gosh, you know, just to give you guys some examples, because it sounds so vague, you know, in sports, right? I think, obviously, the more you play a sport, the better you'll get. But I think athletically, you know, I was a late bloomer in high school. I wasn't the best athlete I could be. Just not because I wasn't working hard. If you ask any of my coaches that I played for, I was one of the harder worker, harding working kids on any of the teams I've been on. However, you know, my athletic peak and skill set just didn't hit. You know, it was around 19 or 20 years old when I really hit my athletic peak and was hitting full stride. But, you know, by that time, I was only playing community college football and at 5'10, 205 pounds, there wasn't much really in store for me after that. Nonetheless, I just use that as an example. There's other things where I kind of bloomed later on, too, in life. And I feel like same thing, you know, now I'm 28, wanting to go back to school. But I've been out of school for six years, man. And it's just, I know it's possible. I know it's possible. I don't want to make it seem like it's impossible. I will go back to school. I will finish my teaching credential. But it's going to be a lot harder, man. I think I was very fortunate that I could breeze through school in high school and middle school and even in college, man, there was only a couple I could count probably on two hands. The amount of classes that really challenged me, that really made me stay up late at night, that made me pull some all-nighters and, you know, say no to hanging out with friends and, you know, think to think if it was seven to eight classes and, you know, ten total semesters that I spent in college uh, I mean, I, I would say I relatively breezed through college, man. I really didn't put a whole lot of effort to the school, to the books, um, to the 
lectures and studying like I know other students did. And so now I'm kind of feeling that struggle that some of the other students and some of my colleagues or friends and family experienced because this is going to be hard for me, man. I already, you know, I'm already working full time. I got a lot going on when it comes to not only just this podcast, but coaching two different sports. I'm coaching a club football team. You know what I mean? I want to make time to see my friends and, and family. Like, damn, what something has to suffer of those four th- five things that I have going on. Something has to suffer in order for me to be good at school again. And that's just something that I guess I wasn't mentally prepared for. So, yeah, that's segment two on my school experience, online school. I'll be at it again. I'll kind of keep you guys updated, see where the progress grows and goes. On to the last segment of the show that I wanted to talk about. Kind of tying in with the existential thought of the episode, but we'll get into that in just a few moments. So this final topic, the final segment I wanted to talk about, a little interesting one, but one that's kind of, I feel like near and dear to my heart and a lot of the reason why I love coaching, why I love working with teens, especially in the areas that I do is changing lives, you know, changing lives and impacting people, teaching them values, morals, lessons through sports through the classroom and different areas right because at the end of the day i feel like we're all products of our environment a lot of the kids that i work with weren't necessarily born into the greatest environments you got i met a lot of kids from single parent households foster kids kids that come from abusive homes etc etc i could list on a bunch of different things and one thing i've learned is It's not easy. (laughs) And I can go more into depth with that in just a second. Because I specifically want to bring up my experience coaching baseball this year. I'm coaching baseball at the same high school that I coach football at. I thought it was fun. It was a good opportunity. I thought it was going to be a fun opportunity. My the defensive coordinator for the football team got the head coach position for baseball. He asked me to help assistant coach. I was all on board. I was excited. You know, I played baseball. Again, it was another thing that I was a late bloomer at. I started playing baseball in seventh grade when I moved to a new city. I did it to make friends, but I was way behind. I didn't make high school team, but I did start playing Sunday league around 17, 18 years old. And then I played Sunday league all the way through college. I actually made the college club team. I was super proud of that because where I started to where I finished, there was a huge jump. There was a huge turnaround. I was lucky to have some great coaches and great teammates that really gave me a lot of great pointers, and I applied them super well, and I became a a starter, you know what I mean, for a college club baseball team. And for those of you who don't know, it's not like intramurals, like where anybody could play. No, you had to try out, and you had to be really good. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the people who tried out for the D1 team at Sacramento State, which has a great program, would try out for this club team. And that's how most schools operated. We would play our own schedules. We'd have to fundraise. I'm not going to get into that experience, but I was excited to share the love that I had for baseball with these students and with these athletes that I was going to get. 
right from the get-go, you know, you, you see these kids have flavor. It was a relatively young team, though. We had four seniors. I want to say we started with three juniors and um, a lot of freshmen and a lot of sophomores, a lot of freshmen that had never played before. We didn't have enough for varsity, JV, and freshmen. We just, I think we started with 18 bodies. Now we're down to 11, guys. We are down to 11 total people on this baseball team. And it's been such an uphill battle. Not because of anything physically. I am amazed on how, I don't want to say physically gifted because then that makes, maybe I'm overselling it, right? But like we are a talented team. Like those four seniors, I would say all have a special talent and unique skill set that bring a lot to the table for this team. The juniors bring a lot to this team. We have a couple sophomores and there's two or three freshmen that really stand out as well and contribute to this team on a regular basis. But the confidence, the mentality, and the attitude is something that I just, it keeps me up at night. It exhausts me. It drains me because from the very get-go, I think before we could even teach some of the fundamentals of baseball and some of the little things and work on some of the bigger things and more advanced things is, yo, their attitudes, their mindset is just so weak. They're, they're so poor as far as the mindset goes. And the tough thing is when you looked at the history of this program the previous few years, they would only win, you know, four to five games in total. And in high school baseball seasons, you're playing at least 20 to 25 games a year. Let that sink in. And so that was one thing I guess I underestimated about the gig and I didn't really fully expect or didn't know what I was getting into because... Right now, I don't even know how many losses we have, but I know we have one win. We have one win on the season. I believe it was our third game of the year. We've lost every game since. We're already in league play, and I, and some of the league games have gone so poorly. It's it's unbelievable, man. It's It's one thing to be bad, but it's another thing to be bad, and when things go bad, you quit on not only yourself, your team, your abilities, you start thinking you're not worthy and capable, you bitch, you moan, you complain, you pout. It's unbelievable, man. It's some of the shit that I've seen this year on the on the field and in the dugout and the things that I've heard. Oh, man. It's just stuff that my friends and I, my family and I would never even really even thinked about you know and I, and I and I get it you know I'm not gonna be trying be one of those people like oh my generation was so much tougher and blah 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 nah look I get it we all had our obstacles that we had to climb through no one was perfect I remember in baseball too if I struck out was having a bad day at the plate yeah I'm gonna throw my helmet and and throw my bat or slam something you know what I mean that's just baseball like I get it but when it's everybody on your team and when they start quitting on themselves Oh, man, that's just, that's where it gets tough. And I don't, I don't want to blame the kids. I got to remind myself that sometimes I catch myself getting frustrated at them in particularly. But when I look at the school and the area, particularly of Anaheim that it's at, it's a low socioeconomic area, man. A lot of these kids weren't raised in your I don't want to say picture perfect, but in your ideal home setting, you know what I'm saying? And because of that, they didn't get things 
like the necessary discipline or they weren't taught things like mass um, like uh, mindset attitudes pride confidence all these different words that i'm throwing at you i feel like that's so important for your parents to bring that into you as a teenager because if you don't have that as a teenager oh my gosh the world may feel so big and that's a tough thing that i see in a lot of these kids is that just you know i get it like during their practices you know they're goofing around and they're having fun but they look good in practice you know i'm not saying we look like an undefeated team but like we look like a team that at least is is floating around 500 i really thought after the whole off season of work i was like oh yeah yeah like if we play 24 games like we probably finish either 12 and 12 maybe 11 and 13 10 and 14 that kind of deal like i really thought we had a chance to be around 500 and the fact that we might only finish with under two or the three wins on the season is, oh, my gosh, that just hurts me. It hurts me down to my core. And I know these kids got to be hurting, too. And it brings, I want to zoom out a little bit and just bring into light just the, the obstacles that these kids face. For no other reason than they were just born into these neighborhoods. They were born into these underserving communities. They were born into these low-performing elementary schools and then low-performing middle schools. And so they go into high school, and it's a low-performing high school, and maybe they don't do good, not only just on their their test and in, in other areas like that academically, but then, like I said, they don't have the attitude, the mindset, the discipline, the pride, the confidence, the belief in themselves to not only achieve great things in the classroom, but to achieve things in on the field. And that's such a tough thing, man, as a coach, when you're getting them as a teenager, because teenagers could be so stubborn, teenagers could be so rigid, teenagers could be so stuck in their own ways, thinking they know it all, man. I was a teenager too, but the one thing I will say that I, I am extremely blessed that my parents were able to do so is, you know, they moved me from uh, a rough neighborhood, a rough city, to the city next door, but it was much more suburban-like. And I went to high school with a lot of white and Asian and kids that came from two-parent households, kids that came from fucking mansions, believe it or not, kids that had cars when they were 16 years old, bought new car, their parents bought new cars for them. You know, I mean, I saw a whole different life. My The friends that I grew up with in elementary school and, and sixth grade, they didn't have that kind of luxuries. You know, as we grew older, we would follow each other on social media and kind of keep up with each other that way. And a lot of my friends back home in my hometown of Santa Ana didn't have the same life experiences that they did in Oregon Orange and the high school that I went to it was it was such a culture shock for me just moving freaking 12 miles north you know what I mean to a suburban city and so all that to say is man I feel like it's really challenging not only for me as a coach, because I'm always going to do my best. You know, I, I don't want to say all those things and make it seem like, oh, man, Coach Noah is kind of quitting on these kids. Nah, like I'm always going to try and give my absolute best. But I know that these kids are the product of a system, a system that looks at kids that come from areas like this. And honestly, they don't really care. You know, what I mean, that's the harsh truth. And I think there's a push and a wave of people my generation and maybe a little bit of the older generation to fix that problem, to right those wrongs, you know, to go back to the inner cities and try and help those kids. 
But there's also a lot of people who want to help and they're very disingenuous with their help. You know what I mean? Billionaires and, and millionaires that want to donate money and, and feel like they know what they're doing with those communities or what those communities may need, but they don't because they're outsiders. You know what I'm saying? And I know I'm an outsider, right? Like I, I like to think that I lived in that life for the first 10 to 11 years of my life. You know, I lived in the rougher neighborhoods. I have family members that have done bad things, gone to prison, that were in gangs, are all tatted up and stuff. But I was never in that life like some of these kids are now. And I was very fortunate to, my parents just moved me to a nicer neighborhood and I was exposed to different things in my teens in a very key developmental stage of your life. And some of these kids don't get that, man. And trying to teach that, it's it's been a it's been a challenge, a big challenge for fucking sure. And I'm gonna keep going hard for these kids. I make that damn clear. But I just I feel for the kids across the country, right? Because this is just a small part of Anaheim. This is a small part of Santa Ana and different rough neighborhoods in Orange County, Garden Grove. But think about all the kids in LA. And in the rougher neighborhoods, in the rougher neighborhoods in San Diego, in the Bay Area, all across California. And then you think bigger picture to the United States. There's kids getting forgotten by the system everywhere in America and in the world, if I'm being honest. And it's it's a damn shame, man. It's a damn shame that just because of the piece of land, not want to say the piece of land, but the family that you were born to and what piece of land that they are living in, your life could drastically change. We didn't choose where we were born. We were born into a family and shit, you know what I mean? Like, I always trip on that. Like, Santa Ana, where I was born, if we were born into a family 10 miles east inland, I would have been in Irvine or Tustin. And who knows what my family would have been like out there because Tustin and Irvine are more affluent cities per average, you know what I'm saying? And it's just things that obviously I think out loud about in my mind a lot because... I've always wanted to make change. You know, I, I see a lot of potential in the kids that I work with, whether it's through sports or the students that I work with in the classrooms. But a lot of them either necessarily don't have the confidence or don't have the tools to reach their fullest potential. And maybe even if not their fullest potential, just to reach new heights. One thing I've noticed, too, is kids who come from the hood, quote unquote, or just lower socioeconomic areas that they have such smaller minded thinking. You know, they don't they have goals, but it's not as big of goals and they don't maybe necessarily realize the things you're really capable of. You know, we are still 45, 50 minutes away from Los Angeles and the the opportunities are endless. You know what I mean? But sometimes when you grow up in communities like this and areas like that, I don't know. You just you're not exposed to as much. You're not as exposed to as many possibilities as you would in a nicer, affluent area. If you came from a two-parent household, nice neighborhoods, white picket fences, all that type of shit. Before I start rambling, I'm going to go ahead and end that segment and sing the segue into the existential thought of the episode. Again, I want to thank you guys for tuning in thus far. This is the My Mike and I podcast, late night thoughts, late night sessions, whatever we want to call it. I'm Noah Alvarez. So 
So the existential thought of the episode, tying in with the theme of school and academics. Biggest question I want to ask you guys, the listener, is are we doing things right, man? Like, ask yourself, are we actually doing things right? School, forcing kids to follow these rules, regulations, and teaching somewhat unworthy skills that just seems so outdated, dog. I think that's one thing that I have trouble, I had trouble buying into this whole I want to be a teacher thing because I know the fucking curriculum is not teaching kids the most useful things, things that I learned in high school. I fucking don't use it on a on a regular basis or even a semi-rare basis in high school or, excuse me, in adulthood. I'd like to think that, you know, when the human population was much younger, you know, we were in tribes and we were indigenous people. And even before then, you know what I mean? We didn't have schools like we do now. And I'm sure there's pros and cons to that, right? But I, I like to think that the children or the teens of the tribe would learn through experience, hands-on experience. You know what I mean? The elders would not only teach them lessons, per se, through verbal action or excuse me, through verbal words, you know, sitting around maybe a campfire or sitting around or standing around something. They're actually going out and teaching them how to tie uh, a knot, teaching them how to, you know, rain cattle or teaching them how to grow crops, teaching them how to, you know, wash clothes in the river, that type of deal. You know what I'm saying? This is just all general broad stuff. And obviously things changed, right? And then colonialism came and, you know, we established big cities and, and towns and schools and the concept of, hey, you have to go to school and I get it. Who doesn't want their kid to be educated? I always hear stories, especially because I'm a big fan of history. You hear a lot, dude, during the Great Depression and and some of those early United States times post-industrialization. A lot of kids, because there wasn't a law to go to school, you know, after like 10 years old, like kids were fucking working in the factories before they made that a law that you couldn't. You had to be a certain age. But even then, like parents didn't necessarily want kid their kids to go to school if they could find a way for them to help out on the farm in the mill or wherever shop that they owned and contribute to the family right away and granted now that you have education per se that kid has a chance of accomplishing more than what their parents did right because it can you know pursue not only high school type education but maybe a secondary education and go to the colleges Yada, 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 I get it. I get it, in theory, it's supposed to help advance us as a society. But I just feel like the execution of it is so poor. You know what I mean? Are we really doing this thing right? Like, can we take a step back, you know what I mean, take a pause on things? I know it couldn't be a long pause, right? But just can we take a step back, take a pause? Are we doing things right? Are we teaching teenagers and middle schoolers things that are actually going to impact their lives in adulthood? And if there's some things that, aren't being used in adulthood i feel like we should take those out take them out of the curriculum we need to make an adjustments to the curriculum i don't think i have all the answers but i think a conversation needs to be started about what we teach kids and how we prepare them for adulthood how we prepare them for the real world how we prepare them for life that's just my thought man i hope you guys think about stuff like that too existential thought of the episode brought to you by nobody just the h2o and this hydro flask <laughs> and the uh the brain up here the good old noggin 
overthinking things throughout the week. So yeah, man, uh, I'm really glad I was able to record tonight. I thought about not recording because I was a little tired. But I hope you enjoyed the episode thus far. The last thing we'll get to is the song of the episode. Last segment, shortest segment. And this song is titled Mango by the artist Kamau. And it's featuring Addy Oasis. So it's an R&B type song, relatively newer. I heard this song from a friend, actually. She showed me. It was funny. This is like a, I guess you would call it like a two-song EP type deal. She sent me a song that was on that EP. Uh, I listened to it. I wasn't a huge fan of it. But also on that EP was this song, Mango. And it's Mango all caps, too. Just FYI. Um... And this song, Mango, man, oh, it, it hits different. The singing in this song hits way different. It's incredible vocals in this song. Layers, lyrics are really piercing. The lyrics that I want to sing to you for the song in the episode segment is the actual hook, right? Both Kamau, excuse me, Kamau and Addy Oasis take turns singing this, but I'm going to do my best version. It goes, quote, because I love you. And what love is, never selfish and of service. And he says it again, because I love you. And what love is, never selfish and on purpose. End quote. Obviously, he sings it and he holds those notes. The end, um, each word, the end word of each sentence or each phrase, excuse me. He holds that really well. And she holds it really well. They have beautiful voices. That's Kamau, spelled K-A-M-A-U-U. And Addy Oasis. Beautiful voices. Again, the song is titled Mango. Definitely go check it out, man. I hope I'm putting you guys onto some great freaking music. But that is going to do it for episode three of the Late Night Sessions of my Mike and I. I am Noah Alvarez. Thank you guys for tuning in. Really appreciate y'all for tapping in. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, follow the podcast, 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 Make sure you guys follow the show on whatever platform that you are listening on. Share it with a friend. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to doing these. Uh, I think I'm making a point to choose to do this instead of other things that I have been doing the past year and a half or so. And I feel a lot better about myself for doing it. So thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys keep checking it out. Hope you guys have wonderful weeks. And, yeah, enjoy some NBA playoff basketball. All right. Peace.